Okay, we're in our fourth uh, sermon in our sermon series called The Art of Neighboring. Uh, today's topic is the art of receiving. And we're going to work through uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, it'd be great for you to turn there as we're looking at a story you may remember from Sunday school. Remember the story of Elijah the prophet and this widow of Zarephath who's basically making their last meal and they're going to eat it and die, the text says. So, so this is a real urgent mission that Elijah's sent on. Um, but before we get into the Bible, I want to, want to look at three different things while we're pushing through the Scriptures. I'll give you a little background first, though. Uh, the third sermon's going to be on three different topics, um, three different um, points. One is that we serve a God of the outsiders. Uh, our God, the God that we serve and love, is a God who loves outsiders and has a passion for the lost, and he wants to bring them into his spiritual family. So we got an outsider's God. Uh, secondly, we serve a living God, and that's a different than the pagan gods and goddesses and the idols. A living God. And lastly, if we're following this living God who has a passion for the outsiders, then our actions are going to speak louder than our words. Love your neighbor as yourself. Our actions will be louder than our words. So here's a background. Elijah, the prophet, sent from God in the 8th century under the seventh king of Israel named Ahab. Remember Ahab, okay? Um, Ahab was a man of very low morals. Uh, he created um, political alliances. And in this political alliance, he married the prince's daughter of Tyre and Sidon. And her name was Jezebel. Now, if somebody's at a cocktail party with you and ends the conversation by saying, you are such a Jezebel, please know that they are not complimenting you, all right? <laughs> this, this woman was a vicious, vile, pagan, unbelieving woman who brought pluralism into Israel. She brought with her 400 prophets of Baal into this relationship with Ahab. Now, Baal was a fertility religion. They thought that Baal opened the heavens, provided the rain, made the crops to grow. Brought with her 450 prophets of Asherah. So he got 850 pagan prophets. Not only that, but King Ahab put them on the dole. He paid these 850 prophets. Not only that, he and Jezebel went on a mission to exterminate all the prophets of God so that Elijah is the last one left standing. All the prophets of Baal versus one man, the prophet of God, Elijah. So that's the backstory. Elijah's message was one of judgment. Look at chapter 17, verse 1. Elijah stood before the king Ahab and says, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, I stand before him. And in these days there shall neither be dew nor rain except at my word, God says. So a drought is coming, and the drought is judgment over their idolatry and their waywardness, replacing the one true God with the prophets of Baal and Asherah. But number two, not only was it judgment, it's our God saying, oh, you think that Baal and Asherah open up the, the heavens for the rains to come? You think that they provide for you crops in the spring? You think that they make the sun to shine? Let me tell you, I'm the God of all creation, and I will shut up the heavens until my word is spoken forth. God's saying, I'm the only God that lives. I'm the living God. 
So you can imagine King Ahab and Queen Jezebel do not take well to this proclamation that drought's coming as a judgment for their sin. So Elijah is being hounded. They're coming after Elijah. They want to exterminate the last prophet of Israel. Elijah's in need. There's a drought. He needs food. He needs water. He needs protection. He needs saving. Look at verses 7 and 8. And after a while, the water brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, the same town that Jezebel came to. I want you to go to enemy territory, to where the pagans are, this queen who's punishing you and persecuting you. I want you to go to her hometown, to this widow. And dwell there, he says. And verse 9, Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you, a woman to provide for you, a widow to shelter you, a woman to care for you. And she's a pagan. She's a heretic. She's an immortal idol- immoral idolater. And we know that this was shocking because this is the sermon that Jesus preached in Luke chapter 4. Remember, he, his public ministry just began, and he preaches these words. He said, there were many widows in Israel during this time of the famine, but the Lord sent Elijah to none of them, but only to the widow of Zarephath in Sidon. And guess what? They wanted to kill Jesus after that sermon. Upsetting, right? That God has a heart for outsiders. That God didn't tend for all the widows in Israel. He sent Elijah to this pagan woman in enemy territory. Wow, they want to kill Jesus. Now, I've preached some really bad sermons from time to time. And I have stepped on some toes really hard from time to time. But I've never had somebody want to kill me after a sermon. This is how upsetting this would have been for the Jews to hear that God has a heart for outsiders. They wanted to kill Jesus. Why would Elijah go to a poor pagan woman and walk alongside her in this miracle work of the jar never running out and the bread uh, never running out? Well, it was shocking to the Jews. It would have been shocking for him to go to a woman. I mean, guys, admit it. I'll admit it. I'm a control freak. Uh, We grow up with a myth that guys are in control we're absolutely capable of everything that we, can, we need to do, and that we are the protectors of the women in our lives. Men are here to watch over our women and to help them out. Now, that is totally blown out of the water the first day you say, I do. Uh, marriage will completely obliterate that myth and that worldview. But if it's true for guys nowadays, how much more true would it have been for Elijah who lived thousands of years ago in a patriarchal culture. And he's being asked to go to this woman, this pagan idolater, and humble himself and be cared for by her and be loved on and protected. That's the art of receiving. That's the art of receiving. Arise and go, and she'll provide for you. Love your neighbor as yourself. When we begin to take those words seriously in our lives, arising and going to our neighbor's, Sometimes God's going to call us to uncomfortable situations to deal with uncomfortable people, just like he did for Elijah. Elijah had to be thinking, Lord, just do the miracle. Don't don't make me have to leave Jerusalem and go to this pagan land and deal with this woman on the bottom rung of society. But he said, I'm going to go anyway. I'm going to humble myself and the art of receiving, I'm going to allow myself to be cared for by her. 
How many times has somebody said to you before, um, let me know if there's anything I can do for you? Typically, we don't take them up on that, do we? Uh, why? One is pride. You know, I, I, I'm okay. I got this. I can do this on my own. I don't need your help. Pride. Second thing that we oftentimes do, though, uh, is when we don't take them up on that, is we're actually withholding a blessing from that person. When they say, let me know if there's anything I can do for you, they actually want to be helpful. They want to serve you. And when you allow for them to serve you, you're giving them dignity and worth and value. But if you withhold that from them, you're withholding a blessing of service. So Elijah has to come to this woman and be helped and cared for and humble himself the art of receiving. Look at verses 10 and 11. He invites her into this great miracle. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Give me something to drink. And as she was going, he called out to her, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Feed me. He's inviting her to partner with him in this great miracle. We can't do that until we humble ourselves in the art of receiving. So next thing is, throughout this chapter, is evidences of a living God. Look at verse 1. Elijah confronted Ahab with these words, the God of Israel, the living God. Verse 12, this pagan woman who doesn't know the living God begins to get to know him. She says, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. The living God, living God, living God. What's the difference between a living God and a dead God? A dead God made of stone or rock or wood, the idols of Asherah, the idols of Baal, are created by human beings to do the bidding of the humans that worship him. So you're never going to have Asherah or Baal ask you to do a difficult thing. They are here to serve you. The art of neighboring includes a living God who is going to ask us to do difficult things and to maybe have a block party if you're an introvert. That's what everybody fears. I don't, I don't want to have 30 people at my house, you know? The art of neighboring is, is done through a living God who will call us to, to not understand everything, but to respond in obedience to what he said. You know, that's the difference that you'll know if you're serving a living God or a God of your own creation. If that God asks you to do difficult things and deal with difficult people, and you say, okay, wherever you want me to go, Lord, I'll go, that's a living God. Uh, if you look at Scripture and say, Lord, I wish you wouldn't have said that in the Bible, and yet you say, but because it's your word, I'm going to be obedient to it. That's a living God. So it happened to a virgin named Mary who was told that she's going to bear the Son of God and that her reputation would be shot from that point forward because nobody knew who the Father was. She said, Lord, I don't understand this mission. Don't understand why you'd want to do that. But Mary said, let it be to me according to your word. Don't understand it, but I'll be obedient because you're a living God and you've got a plan. Isaiah was told to go and prophesy in chapter 6 of Isaiah. And God said, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah said, Lord, I don't understand your plan. You're a living God and you've got a plan that's beyond me. But here I am. Send me. Send me. Don't you think that was in the heart of Elijah too? Lord, I don't understand why you would send me to a poor woman in the middle of a pagan land, the very land of my enemies, to this woman for me to be cared for by her. But, Lord, I don't understand it. 
but I'll do this difficult thing because you're the living God. It took his time and his energy and his investment in this woman's life in order for her to see the living God. So it brings us to our last point. Actions in our art of neighboring will always speak louder than our words. He doesn't, Elijah doesn't go to this woman and get all preachy with her. He doesn't say, you're a heretic, a woman, an idolater, and I want you to know the true God so that you can be saved. That is not on his agenda. That's not where he starts, is it? Instead, the best sermon that we could possibly preach to an unbelieving world and to our neighborhood is a kind of contextual joy that we live our lives with. The joy and the peace and the hope with which we live our lives. That will lead sometimes to open up spiritual conversations. But you don't start with the preaching. You ask God to open the hearts for the word to come later. She doesn't care a bit about hearing from this prophet about how far off she is from God and how much a sinner she is. Many of our neighbors, like this woman, are just trying to survive. Let me make a few cakes and let me and my son die in the midst of this drought. Maybe the man down the street who was married for 50 years and now lost his wife. He doesn't care here about your preaching. He wants to be loved on and cared for as a neighbor. It may be the woman two streets over who has a life-threatening illness she doesn't want to hear your preaching. She wants to be loved on as a neighbor and cared for in the name of Jesus. It could be the young couple down the street who are far off from God, who don't know God and are lonely and feel isolated in Somerville, South Carolina. All these stories are true, my friends. They don't want to hear your preaching. They want to be loved on and cared for in Jesus' name. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Elijah comes to this woman without any agenda to love and save the woman and her son. Look at verse 14, inviting her into the miracle. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. God's miracle. He engaged the woman, he engaged Elijah, and he worked a great miracle. Two powerful quotes today from the art of neighboring. We don't love our neighbors to convert them. We love our neighbors because we are converted. We don't have an agenda. We're not out to convert them. We love them because we're converted. And when we take Jesus seriously, the book says, we will want to share Jesus with others. We will want to share what we love, what we enjoy, what we believe. And when we start to love people in Jesus' name, spiritual things transpire. You know this woman gets saved in this chapter? This woman of Zarephath, and verse 24 at the end of this chapter, once her son is raised from the dead, she says to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of the living God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth and it is truth. Elijah invested himself, allowed himself to be cared for. He humbled himself, went to this woman, partnered with her in a great miracle that God worked through them and she got saved in the end. But it doesn't start with preaching. It starts with love. And that opens the heart of unbelievers to want to know more about the living God. So true relationships will end with this. They're about giving, yeah, but also about receiving. Making yourself humble enough to receive ministry from another person. Elijah, he was a guy on the run. He needed food, he needed shelter, and he allowed himself to be ministered to by an outsider. And that's the kind of God we serve, a God who loves the outsiders. 
And when you begin to walk with outsiders who may not have a church home, who may have a worldview that's absolutely different than the one that you possess, people totally unlike you, if you love on them, then they'll open themselves up to spiritual conversations. Humble yourself. Let them serve you. And pray. Pray that God will begin to work on their hearts and that you will have a chance to share what you love most, Jesus Christ, his hope, his grace, his love, and his joy. Let us pray.